So my friends, today we celebrate this feast of the transfiguration of our Lord, that uh, a week after he first predicts his passion, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and then this moment of transfiguration happens. It happens right at the midway point of the three synoptic gospels, which relate it. It's the midway of the narrative, because this is now the change, where Jesus goes from, you know, the miracles and the parables to now teaching them a deeper truth about who he is. That he is, yes, the Messiah, but the Messiah who is going to suffer for them, who's going to be humiliated and despised. And they don't like that. They don't like it at all. In fact, that's when St. Peter says, I think this is probably going to come up in our regular Sunday readings in the next couple weeks, right? So St. Peter says, God forbid, Lord, like, no. This isn't going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. To which Jesus rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. Right? He calls Peter, whom he just named the rock. Uh, He calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Um, You're you're not working on God's plan. And so after all this, it's probably a very awkward week. Jesus and Peter just having had that argument. Peter probably thinking he's in the doghouse. And so Jesus takes them up this mountain, Mount Tabor. And there he is transfigured before them, where they see the full light of his glory. They they see, they get a glimpse, just a little glimpse, into the glory that Jesus was always carrying around in himself, right? This is not like this is a different moment for Jesus. Like, Jesus always is the beloved son of the Father, Jesus is always in relationship and conversation with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, And Jesus is, in a way as well, in conversation with the entire figures of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. So for Jesus, what's going on is nothing new. Um, Maybe it wasn't visible all the time, but this is always what would be happening in the soul of Jesus. And now it's just in this moment, he's letting these three friends of his in on the secret. He's letting them kind of see what's always the case with who he is. And what do we hear happens? They see just a glimpse, just a little glimpse of who he actually is. And they fall to their faces terrified, right? They are, they are absolutely terrified by the majesty And the glory of it, that this is the glory of God's own son, of God come among us. One of the reasons, um, scripture scholars say, one of the reasons why Jesus didn't just show up on the scene and start saying, I'm God, is that this would be the response. Like, they'd fall on their faces out of reverence, out of awe, and maybe out of a little bit of terror. Uh, C.S. Lewis Uh, has a great example of, you know, different types of fear. And yeah, we shouldn't be afraid of God the way that we're afraid of, like, if somebody told, if in the church there was a a growling, angry, untrained, vicious, big dog, right? Like, yeah, probably be a little little unsettled by that. Uh, I have a few friends that tell me their dogs are really nice, and yet I go over and they still don't stop growling and barking at me like the whole night, right? So they're like, okay, maybe your dog's nice, but your dog doesn't like me. 
right? Not even a little bit. But even like a, a rough dog, right? Like when you're afraid, there's an a angry, growling dog. That's one type of fear, right? And if someone said like, hey, in the sacristy, we just let, you know, a Doberman in there that is used to guarding uh, junkyards and good luck, Father Casey, trying to get divested after mass. Oh, okay, a little afraid of that. Um, and rightly so. If somebody said there's a ghost in the sacristy, it's a different type of fear. This is C.S. Lewis's analogy. It's a different, it's like, ooh, that's, that's creepy fear, right? That's, that's like there's something bigger than me that I can't explain fear. Not something that we as human beings, like, yeah, we know that we should stay away from growling, snapping animals with sharp teeth, but uh, like a ghost, something like that, like that there's a different type of uh, fear that, that's more of like an awe. There's a, I, I don't understand this all the way. And when we talk about the gift of fear of the Lord, that's the type of fear. God is bigger than me. God is so much bigger than me. God is, is um, infinite. And that the reverence that we have, if we even just caught a little glimpse of that, just a little glimpse, we'd fall on our faces, terrified. And so that's the glory of God that these apostles get a little peek into on that moment on Mount Tabor. But what, what ends up happening is that there they are in their terror. You know, Peter even says, let's build three tents. The word for tent is actually tabernacle, right? Three tabernacles here. Um, part of it is we want to, I don't want to go back to that talk about humiliation and crucifixion and persecution. Let's stay here on the mountain. Another part of it is like, we're going to keep you safely here. Let's get you inside a tent so we don't see you anymore. And we're just going to have you and your glory over there so we mere mortals can go back to our normal lives. And there could be a uh, temptation for us to want to do that, that we just box off God, right? We just want God over there. Like, yep, Jesus, you're present in the church here among us in the most blessed sacrament, literally in the tabernacle, um, but you're there. So you don't interfere with the rest of my life, right? You don't get involved in the rest of my life because, Jesus, you're in church, and except for one hour a week, I'm not. Uh, and so there could be that temptation to box off God that we don't really want to. And that's what Peter, Peter does. He's terrified, but he also wants to just contain this, just fit it into something, right? Fit that glory into something. And when they hear the voice of the Father, it gets even worse. Right? The father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Right? They hear the voice of the father and they're terrified. Right? And then they fall prostrate and they're, they're terrified. It's interesting in the book of Exodus, the Israelites having just come out of Egypt, they hear the voice of the father. They hear the voice of God. Right? There's the, there's the trumpets and the thunder and the whole thing. And so the Israelites say like, hey, Moses, you go talk to him, right? We, we don't, we're kind of afraid of that, whatever's going on there on the mountain with all the smoke and the fire and the thunder and the trumpets, and you go talk to him for us and then tell us what he says. Uh, and so, I mean, this is something right out of the Old Testament. But Jesus came. Jesus came to them. In their terror, he comes to them. He touches them. He says, rise, get up. 
Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus alone. They just see Jesus. They see their friend, Jesus. And this is the lesson that we can learn from the transfiguration. Is that yes, Jesus always has the glory. Jesus always has the power. And if we saw Jesus as he truly is, for even a second, we would be terrified of the majesty of it and our own littleness in the face of the majesty of God. But God has hidden that, if you will, so he could become our friend, so that he can speak our language, so that we can get to know him. So when they look up, they don't just see the majesty of God, they see their friend. They see their friend, Jesus. And Jesus has become our friend, that our friend, Jesus, helps us approach the majesty of God. Because he is God, but he's also 100% one of us. 100% God, 100% man. And so Jesus comes to us, so we can become friends with him. This is the mystery of Christmas, right? God becomes a little baby, like a little baby, so that we could be confident in approaching him. So we could be confident in going and talking to him. We can become friends and fall in love with him. That's what God has done for us. And then this is the last point, is in a particular way, we can apply all of this to the celebration of the Mass. Because if we saw, if we had the eyes, if we had a transfiguration moment, and we see what happens at the Mass, again, we would be overwhelmed by the majesty in every Mass, no matter how grand in some you know, European basilica with the Pope and huge music and lights and ton of incense and all that, or just in the simplest, smallest parish church. It's the same one Mass. It's participating in heaven. When we're at Mass, we are taking part in the heavenly liturgy. And so many of the things that we sing, like the, the Holy Holy, the Sanctus, right? That's the eight. We're joining our voices, we say, to the angels. This Mass is not just us gathering in a building in New Britain, Connecticut. It's us gathering to be part of the heavenly worship. And so what we do is majestic. It's glorious. We approach it with a type of reverence. We should. We should never just get too comfortable with it like Peter did before the uh, transfiguration scene. We should have that reverence for the Mass. And we could see, like if the curtain could be pulled back just a little, and we could see the angels, and we could see that Jesus himself is the priest, and Jesus is the victim, and Jesus is the altar, and it's all Jesus, and it's glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, and the angels ministering. And that happens right here. We don't see it, because we'd probably get really freaked out and not come back, right? We'd run away, but that's what happens in every Mass. And then the Eucharist. God, this same Jesus, who seeing his glory, they fell on their faces, comes to us. He humbles himself even more, coming to us as our food. So we receive him. The Jesus that we receive in Holy Communion is the same Jesus with all that glory on Mount Tabor. And so when we see the Eucharist, do we have that reverence? Again, God has 
lowered himself. He's humbled himself so that we can receive him, so we can have that contact with him. And we should have no less reverence. We should be confident approaching our Lord. But we should see that what we're doing is always filled with the same majesty, the same glory, as was present at the moment of transfiguration. So my friends, this is this, is this big moment in the gospel, a turning point. And considering it could be a turning point in our own lives of faith. To really say that maybe we've been taking our religion a little too cheaply. Maybe we haven't been considering the supernatural elements, the real majesty of what happens here. And if that's been the case, and each one of us can fall into that trap again and again and again, let's return to say amen. Like, I believe, Lord. Yeah, you're my friend, Jesus. But that majesty, you're always carrying around with you. So we can have a greater appreciation and reverence for the mysteries of our faith, the mystery of the Holy Mass, and our Lord Jesus Christ, truly present in the most blessed sacrament.